Hi everyone, my name is Andy McCulloch and I'm really excited to be speaking to you today uh, from the Word of God. Uh, one of the things that I have the joy of doing is leading the Unreached Network, which serves across the New Frontiers family and around the world, um, helping foster best practice in cross-cultural mission. And we've got our conference coming up soon online on the 17th and 18th of June. I know uh, many of you have actually attended uh, this conference before. One of the beautiful things about uh, doing a conference online is that people can join from all over the world. And so we, we're expecting contributors from many different countries to talk about what God is doing in their nation, to share about the things that they're learning about mission. And so it will definitely be inspiring, exciting, an opportunity to lift our eyes from our kind of small context to, to the bigger story, really, the bigger picture that we have the privilege of being a part of. So I'll invite you at the Unreached Conference, 17th and 18th of June. All the details are on our website, unreached.network. Today, uh, the thing that's on my heart uh, to share with you is from Acts chapter 17 and it's on the subject of addressing Athens and uh, my daughter Safi has lived in a lot of different countries uh, a lot of different places and one of the things that she does when she talks to people is depending on who she's talking to she speaks slightly differently so if she's talking to a posh person uh, she puts on a bit of a posh accent and she uses big words um, if she's talking to a non-native English speaker, she actually uses very simple words and slows down the way that she talks so that they can understand. If she's speaking to an American, sometimes she even puts on an American accent. Now, you could accuse her of being inconsistent, of not really knowing who she is, of lacking integrity, even of being hypocritical. She would answer, um, I'm trying to communicate and you've only actually communicated, not when you've talked, but when the other person has understood what you're trying to say. So I'll change the way that I speak in order to be able to communicate so people can understand me. In the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul also does this. In fact, that's his genius, I would say, is that when he speaks to Jewish people, he quotes the Jewish scriptures, he uses their stories, he uses their style of arguing, and he even speaks in their language, Aramaic. When he speaks to pagans in a village called Lystra in Acts chapter 14, um, he uses very simple language and he talks about things in their world, concrete things like the rain and the crops growing, because that's what they will understand. Today, we're going to look at when Paul goes to somewhere very different. He comes to Athens, uh, this great city in Greece, and he speaks to intellectual people, people that love thinking about big ideas, which is different again. And so the, the big point really, which is a very simple point, is this. When you talk to people about God, you talk to different people differently. This can be called contextualizing the gospel. Now, gospel means good news, and contextualizing means making relevant to people where they're at uh, in their context. And so how can I be sure that what I'm saying to them is good news for them? Uh, sometimes what's good news for me, you know, if I found a cure for baldness, and I was really excited about it. That's good news for me, but it may not mean anything to you. And so what we have in the gospel is good news for all people, but we must find a way of making those people in their story, in their context, appreciate the goodness 
of this news. And that's your question in Leeds, right? Is how can you as a church, how can you as a body of believers share good news in your town of Leeds? And so our passage, we're going to be in Acts chapter 17, starting at verse 16. We're going to go verse by verse. And we're just going to see what can we learn from this guy, Paul, as he comes into a new place, shares the gospel with new people. And let's learn how he interacts with those guys. Okay. Acts 17 and verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that their city was full of idols. So he comes into this city, he's wandering around, he's looking at stuff, making observations, and we read that his spirit is provoked, he's moved by something. And um, this is a really important principle, actually, don't just get into the city, let the city get into you. Don't just move into a new neighborhood, but actually let that neighborhood touch you. Like, don't just observe with your eyes, but observe with your spirit. And he, he doesn't insulate himself against the world. He's, in the words of Paolo Nutini, uh, he's out and about, so he's in with a shout. Uh, he's on the streets, he's meeting people, he's looking at stuff. And he sees that Athens is full of idols. And we're going to come to that. But I wonder... What is Leeds full of? Or what is your neighbourhood full of? What's the thing that there is everywhere? That will show that that's important to the people that live there, right? Verse 17. So, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So, he reasons with people. Now, that's not monologue. He's not preaching. Um, it's dialogue, it's discussion, it's two-way, it's question and answer, it's interaction. Uh, I think sometimes Christians are really good at monologue, like preaching, like I'm doing now. Let's be honest, you can't talk back to me through the camera. Or you can, but I can't hear you. Um, but we're good at like, this is the project we're going to do, this is what we're bringing. Um, Christians are not always so good at dialogue and sitting and listening to our town and, and going, what's the need on this estate? What is the need in this neighbourhood? Um, so that we can answer questions so that we can interact and we read that this happened every day it was an ongoing conversation not just dropping leaflets not just uh, dropping a social media post not just street evangelism but an ongoing dialogue and the question is this how can we be in an ongoing conversation with our town verse 18 some of the epicurean and the stoic philosophers also conversed with him and some said what does this babbler wish to say. Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching about Jesus and the resurrection. So they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus. That's where people would gather to talk about ideas. It's where they're like all the elders of Athens would gather saying, may we know what is this new teaching that you're presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears and we wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing. I love this. This is all they did. They spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. That was their thing. They loved new stuff. Athens didn't have a problem with new ideas. In fact, they loved new ideas. This is very different to some other places. So Lystra, again, in chapter 14 of Acts, it's a very conservative village. People didn't want something new. They were happy with what they had. And so with people that are happy with what they've got, 
we challenge that the gospel is bringing something new and that's difficult for people but with people like these guys who love new stuff we challenge that the gospel is actually something old and unchanging and eternal and that's a challenge to them i think our culture is a lot like athens that's why i'm talking about this today people love new stuff everyone wants the latest iphone the latest jordan trainers what's trending on tiktok but also people love new ideas new philosophy new spirituality Ooh, I'm, everyone's trying this i'm going to try it too there's a new diet i'm going to try that what's on trend it's the most important question for a lot of people uh with our young people it's like okay climate change is really important greta thunberg let's all go protest oh racial justice really matters let's all check our hearts and our prejudices oh veganism let's all change the way we eat oh ukraine let's all uh give food in the supermarkets now none of that's wrong it's all good stuff but our young people are passionate about everything but committed to nothing whatever's the latest cause you have to virtue signal you have to show that you're down with it you have to show that you're engaging uh one teenage boy a friend of my kids um a lot of that group seem to be into crystals at the moment crystals have come back who knew uh, in this group of teenagers and um one one teenage boy is chatting to him and um, he said, oh, I wasn't into crystals, but then someone told me there's a crystal for your memory. So if you get this crystal, then it helps you remember stuff. And my exams is coming up, isn't it? So he was like, ah, so I got this crystal to help me with my memory for my exams. I said, how's that working out for you? Really? I'm really interested. How's that working out for you? He said, well, it was working really well, but the problem is I've lost it and I can't remember where I put it. And you're like, okay, maybe you need to get another crystal for your memory to help you find the first crystal for your memory. And so Athens is a bit like that. It's pluralistic. Everything goes. Everything's welcome. We tolerate all different opinions and ideas. Uh, and so they don't mind Paul introducing a new religion. Everyone gets to live their truth. This is a lot like the UK like right now. Verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said... Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. So Paul's going to speak to them now in their own style, in their own language in Greek. Standing in the midst of the group is a very Greek way of an orator preparing to speak. So he's adapted his communication style to the audience. He would speak differently if it was speaking to Jews. And he starts with a compliment, not an insult. You guys are really religious. He, he's going to build on common ground. He's going to get to the controversial stuff later. We have to get to the controversial stuff later. But it doesn't start by just insulting everyone and going, all your idols, it's just a load of pagan rubbish. He doesn't start by putting everyone on the back foot, right? He's, it's a basic human thing. He wants to establish rapport and gain a hearing. This is wise. When we were church planting in Turkey amongst Muslims, we often started on common ground. You know, common ground with Muslims... We believe in God. We believe that God made the world. We believe in the prophets, even the life of Jesus. Muslims would accept that. So let's start with the stuff we've got in common and we'll get to the difficult things later, like Jesus being the son of God or the crucifixion, the resurrection. These are hard things for Muslims, but we will get there. We have to get there, but we can get there in time once we've established a report. If you think about the Bible, it's a big book. There's a lot of Old Testament before you even get to Jesus. So we can afford to be patient and build trust with people. And so if there are people that are passionate about justice, start with justice. 
If there are people that love personal stories, start with your personal story of what God's done in your life. If there are people who are spiritual and into spirituality, start by praying for them. See what God does. Talk later. Pray first, talk later, right? Verse 23, for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar to this inscription, to the unknown God. I found an altar that was written on it to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, now I'm going to proclaim it to you. So some years earlier, there'd been a pandemic or a plague that had gone through their city and they prayed at all the altars to all the known gods, all the different gods, and they'd sacrificed and nothing had happened. The, the plague carried on and people kept dying. And one of their wise men, he said to them, okay, what you guys need to do is release a flock of sheep and um, wherever the sheep stop to graze, there build an altar to the unknown God and sacrifice the sheep there and the plague will stop. And that's what they did and it worked. The plague stopped. And so Paul is touching a local story, something that is in their memory, something that they talk about with their families. He's listened, he's heard this story, and he uses it as a springboard into the gospel. And he's going to say, this unknown God, I know him and I can let you know who it is that has saved you. This story actually touched a really deep fear, because in Athens, the big thing, right, is the brain. They love knowing stuff. They love information. They love facts. They love science. Uh, they like having an answer for everything. So that meant that they were terrified by the fact that their salvation had come from somewhere unknown. Actually, for most people and for most cultures, and it's true, true for me and true for you, their great strength is also their great weakness. So for the Athenians, their great strength was knowledge, philosophy, and their great fear was the unknown, stuff that they didn't understand. In, in Leeds, I wonder what this might be. Where I live in Reading, in the south of England, people are very committed to being fit. So they spend a lot of time, a lot of money on being healthy, doing sport. Uh, I, I don't fit in at all, by the way, in case you're wondering. Uh, and what happens is this becomes self-absorbed. People spend far too much money and far too much time on worshipping their health. They end up judging people that are not healthy. And when they get sick, their worlds fall apart because that's what they cared about. In England in general, there can be a commitment to planning, to your diary, scheduling, booking things in advance, having a plan for the next couple of years. When are you going on holiday? When are you getting married? It's really different to a lot of places where I've lived in terms of how organized England is. It's a great strength, right? But when COVID hit and wreaked havoc with our planning and our diaries, people lost their holidays, people had to rearrange their weddings or move some of their plans around. People found that really hard. It created lots of anxiety because every great strength has a shadow side. So touching what people are good at can also challenge their over-reliance on that particular strength. And at, at the same time, touch something that, that is their deepest fear. Often the greatest strength hides the deepest fear. The tallest stone casts the longest shadow. It's even worse asking that of ourselves. What, what are you good at? Um, do, are you over-reliant on that? Is there a fear lurking behind it? Verse 24, then... 
The God, he's preaching now, or explaining, expanding from this springboard. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by men, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. This is a city full of temples. He's going, God doesn't live in temples. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, here he's touching their ethnic pride because they believed that their race, the, the Athenians, was superior, was better to everyone else. He's saying, you're the same as everyone else. You've got the same story as all other nations. Having determined allotted periods and boundaries for their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us. It's such... A positive approach. He's challenging things, poking their ethnic pride, challenging their idea of temples, but at the same time the tone is so warm and disarming. For in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own prophets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. So now he quotes from two of their own poets or philosophers or prophets. Um, this is really important. It means he's read their stuff, right? and memorized it and can bring it out. He's respecting their local art, their local creed. He doesn't dismiss this as rubbish. These are celebrities from their culture and he's prepared to quote from them. He doesn't say this is nonsense, this is pagan, this is demonic. He finds something good. that This really honors their local culture. It shows them respect. And it's a way into a way about talking about Jesus. This quote, we are indeed his offspring, was actually written by one of their poets about Zeus, their, their almighty God, their supreme God. Paul's not afraid to take this saying and actually say, there's some truth in this, but it's not about Zeus. But I can point from this to an understanding of God as a father. I wonder in Leeds, if you were doing that, who would you quote? I mean, you guys have produced some real stars, right? Keith Lemon. I was trying to find a, a quote from Keith Lemon, but none of it would be appropriate, actually, for a Sunday meeting. Uh, Kaiser Chiefs, Jeremy Paxman, but Mel B. Mel B must be one of your most famous daughters, uh, part of the Spice Girls. One of her things that she said, her kind of philosophy of life, is this. This is Mel B. I try to live by the girl power motto. It's about believing in yourself, no matter how bad a day you're having and lending your support to other women. It's empowering to have that camaraderie with other women. And so you could in Leeds say, look, this is one of your famous daughters and um, she's made your city proud. Uh, in this thing that she said here, there's some stuff we can believe, we can agree with. It's great to empower women and have some camaraderie. There's some stuff that we might challenge. It's, it's not great to rely on yourself to search for the hero inside yourself. And so you can interact, you see, with people. So I'm just going to quote from Dean Fleming, his book, Contextualization in the New Testament. And um, he just says this about Paul's approach here. It's, it's important. Paul begins where his audience is and builds on as much common territory as possible. Rather than demeaning their belief system, or condemning their religiosity, he recognizes that there is something genuine in their religious aspirations and felt needs, and he uses them as stepping stones for communicating the gospel. 
That's good, eh? That's exactly what he's doing. That's exactly what we need to get better at doing. Verse 29, uh, Paul's conversation continues. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. You can see him looking around because that's what Athens is full of. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands people everywhere to repent. You know, they, they pride themselves on knowing and he's hammering them for ignorance. So he's, he, he's disarming. Suddenly he's going for them and he says, you need to repent. Now, calling them to repent is pretty challenging because they're used to changing beliefs or changing gods, changing ideas, but they're not used to changing their behavior, to changing their hearts. This is different and unpopular and challenging. So all the way through, Paul is being both constructive and corrective. Yeah, he's being both positive and provocative, and he's able to do it in a winsome way. Verse 31, because God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he's given assurance to all men by raising him from the dead. Now, the one thing that the Athenians could not believe is that dead people come back. They're, they're logical, they're rational, they're science people. They're, they can't take that. And so when he hits the resurrection from the dead... That's the end of the day. That's the last punch he can throw. That's, that's going to take them a long time to digest. So he's established rapport. He's built some common ground. He's interacted with one of their stories. He's quoted from some of their prophets. He brings one big challenge to their over-reliance on knowing and their fear of the unknown. He challenges their ethnic pride. But now he's touched resurrection from the dead. That's enough for one day. And actually, friends, knowing when to stop, and I'm going to stop soon because I know when to stop, knowing when to stop and leave it with people is also vitally important. Chew on that. Digest that. Walk away. Sometimes we think, oh, I've, got, I've got to tell the whole gospel. I've got to get it all in there. And we can get a little bit frantic. And we, we must trust God that we sow a seed it's him that will water it in their hearts and cause it to grow and cause fruit to come. Verse 32. When they heard of the resurrection from the dead, some mocked. Others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius, the Areopagite. So one of the guys from this council and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. And so there's, there's a mixed response. Some mock, some were intrigued, but some joined him and believed. And interestingly, when some people mock you, uh, sometimes we can think, oh, I've got to engage those mockers in argument. Usually there's someone else who's sitting quietly in the corner of the room who's actually, their heart is quietly processing. And so sometimes we engage with the loud people and we miss the quiet people. But those are the people that are believing. So that's the story. That's what I wanted to share. And just to circle back, really, what are some of the things, some of the principles that we learn from Paul's visit to Athens uh, that can help you to engage in leads, that can help you to engage in your neighborhood with your neighbors 
at the school gate, in your place of work, in your online uh, social community, wherever it is that you're interacting with people. Here are some things that we learn. Ready? Number one, don't just get into the city. Let the city get into you. And that takes time to, to allow the place that you're living to affect you. I've been living here now for five years and um, it's getting into my soul. I'm starting to love being here. I'm starting to find some of the strengths and the weaknesses. It takes time. Number two, the question is, what is your city full of? Athens was full of idols. What's your city full of? What is there everywhere? What do you observe? What does that tell you about Leeds? Number three, dialogue, not monologue. Not like I'm doing today. This is Sunday preaching. This is unusual. Uh, but dialogue. Have conversations with people. Ask questions. Number four, start with common ground. Go as far as you can in establishing commonality. Number five, be genuinely respectful. Not fake respect, not cosmetic. Genuinely, I see you guys are very religious. Like, genuinely respectful. Number six, talk about the things that matter to the person you're with. You know, people, you know, I could talk to people for hours about football because I'm really interested, right? So talk, talk about things that the person that you're with is interested in. Number seven, the greatest strength often masks the deepest fear. And what is that in the people that you're talking with? And how can you touch that fear? Number eight, don't be afraid to challenge hearts. To say, look, your heart needs to repent. Don't be afraid to get there. God will do his work. Number nine, don't feel like you have to do everything in one conversation. Know when to stop for the day. Know when you've thrown a punch that needs to rest with that person. Know when there's something that you can see the switch in the conversation. Know when you're done for the day. Number 10, make sure you get to Jesus, to this man who will judge the world. But you can, you can afford to be patient. You don't even have to get there in conversation one. We can afford to trust God and get to Jesus at the right time. And number 11, when some people mock, others will believe. And don't let the mocking offend you or upset you and put you off so much that you miss that some people in the room are believing. So that's it. We've looked at this story. I've shared some principles from the story. I hope that gives you enough to go away and think about and pray about. Let me pray for you guys now. Father, I thank you for the Oak Church. I thank you for this great community of people. And we pray for them right now in the name of Jesus. I pray that they would carry this good news into their city. I pray, Lord, for Leeds as a city, that every neighborhood, that every estate, that every little corner, that every little area of that uh, great metropolis would be impacted by the kingdom of God. I pray for my friends right now. What are you speaking to them? Who are you asking to move to another area of the city? Who are you asking to change job and do something new? Who are you challenging to get out of their comfort zone? Lord, I pray, use their hospitality, use their ministry among the poor, use their kids' work, use their Sunday meetings, use their Alpha courses, use their prayer. Lord, I pray that you would use this church community to impact 
their city, their neighborhood that you've given them, that you've appointed for them. In the name of Jesus, release creativity, inspiration, ideas. Even now, speak to people, put it in their hearts, uh, put it in their spirits, uh, guide your people out into mission in their local space. We pray for them and we bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. See you soon.